Welcome back to this week's episode of Cover Zero Podcast. I'm your host tonight, Jordan, for our Week 10 preview. First, I'm joined tonight by Corday. How you doing, bro? Doing good, man. Doing good. Happy to be here. Yes, happy to be here indeed. We got a lot of games on the slate. Also joining us tonight, you're going to hear from him a little bit more than just those fantasy nuggets, but those are going to be plentiful as well. Chase, my man, how's it going, bro? Man, it's fantastic. It was a definitely crazy past week and a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. We're going to get right into the mix of things right now, starting with our first of two game previews this week, which is going to be the game in Munich, Munich, Germany. NFL makes its way to Munich as Seattle goes to play Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay going into this game, two and a half point favorites. Seattle at six and three, really kind of in some way, even though they're both leading their division, they're both starts throughout this season are shocking and un, un, I guess, expected mostly with just how they've fared this year. Corday looking at this game, Tampa Bay's offense has been gross at times to watch, especially if you tuned into that game against the Rams just this last weekend. And do you think there's going to be any, any, how would I put it? Any way they're going to be able to write the momentum that they had off of that crazy win late in the game against the Rams that they could take into this game against Seattle? I mean, Seattle doesn't have a great defense, um, but I <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's what put it. I was trying to like evaluate, like we well, you know Seattle doesn't have the great defense. You know Tom Brady could probably, and I'm like, no. Running game has been terrible. Leonard Fournette spoke up today about uh, he didn't like the game plan. Uh, they've been one of the worst rushing teams. Uh, of this year, which is crazy to me because Leonard Fournette actually had a few good games early in the season, but then after that, it just became null to nothing, and Tom Brady's throwing a ton of passes to Mike Evans and Godwin, and even though the Seahawks defense isn't uh, of what we've known the Seahawks defense to be over these last few years, and they've given up points, I still don't think Brady and the Bucks will get it together because they struggle against the Rams defense who's been giving up who hasn't been playing well either, and they didn't really score a touchdown to the final drive, like I think the final drive of the game. So I really don't see how going to Germany way over across the pond, first time in Germany, um, that they will play well. And I think also the last time that the Seahawks was in over in the UK, they actually played very well. I think just I think uh, Jordan they played Joe Raiders that one time when Derek Carr got sacked ten times. The game was ugly. Yeah, that was the game Derek Carr cried, right? Yeah, yeah, he cried that game. Yep. And everybody talks about uh, they was like he was crying it like his teammates don't don't care for him no more. Nah, because I remember he was running and he was like it was funny. He was running away thinking he had dodged one dude like ha ha, and then got boom like blindsided. And I think he like broke his shoulder. It looked like he broke his shoulder on the play, and I think that's why he was, well, that's why he was crying, but everybody took a screenshot, it was like, hey, man, look this dude out here crying, I'm like, did you see the hit? Did you see the he hit? He got and rocked. Think, yeah, and I think after that game, Derek Carr was never the same, that's the game I always point to, everybody always say his leg, but I'm getting off topic. Um, Yeah, I don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will write their offense with this game, and I feel like Geno Smith will come out here and play very well, like he's been doing most of the year. Uh, comeback player of the year, I think, goes to uh, Geno Smith. But then only only way that this game gets ugly is if the field is uh, terrible. Like, I remember when they first started doing these UK games, they 
made the grass. Well, this was the first one in Germany, though, right? Yeah, yeah, first one yeah. in Germany. So that's that's what I'm thinking. Like the grass might be like how uh, I remember it was built mainly for soccer, and I remember it was like super super wet, super like nobody can get a lot of good footing or anything like that. And I remember that's why a lot of the early games when they first went over the UK it was like super low scoring, just super just sloppy players sliding over and it'd be like a high scoring game because players keep either trying to tackle and falling down and all this other different kind of stuff. So I feel like if it's a sloppy game, it's because the field gets sloppy. Like I still remember, I think Eli Manning scrambling for a touchdown was like one of the slowest things I've ever seen in that field. It was just, he was just kicking up a ton of mud behind him and it wasn't even raining. So, <laughs> uh, I got the Seahawks in this one. Yeah, overall, looking at this game, I mean, the Tampa Bay, we've talked about it before on this show. I think it was the last time we previewed a Bucks game, just how atrocious that rushing offense has been. They're dead last in the NFL, yards per attempt, 3.0 per carry, and then even dead last in the NFL in terms of total yards per game on the ground. And the PFF grade doesn't even make it look a lot better at all. However, the one thing that is kind of still surprising to me, at least is different from what you would normally expect with this Bucks defense, is that it just hasn't been up to par either. Their rush DVOA is 13th, where they've normally been dominant, and teams have found a way lately to really target the weaknesses of Devin White. It's almost become to the point now to him, at least this season, and lately especially, where if he's not blitzing and the run isn't like directly up to him, where a line where like an offensive lineman doesn't get hands on him on the move, then there's not really a lot that he's been able to provide to help out this Tampa Bay defense. And of course, Todd Bowles isn't Bruce Arians, so he's not going to throw him under the bus. But I think that this Seattle offensive line is still going to be able to have success blocking him and then also getting Noah Fant involved, bringing other guys over on crossers to be able to take advantage of him. This Seattle pass rush, though, you're right, Corday, overall, the defense isn't. You know, it hasn't, it's been one, especially during the beginning of the year. They were allowing a ton of points and a ton of yards to everyone. They've improved a little bit, but still come into this game averaging 24 and a half points per game defensively. And that's just, that's not going to cut it consistently in the NFL. But overall, though, the pass rush has come alive. Uchinan Wosu has seven sacks in the season. He's tied for seventh in the league, eight, eight tackle for losses. Tackles for loss, 10th in the NFL. And in the last four games alone, he's got five sacks and a forced fumble. He is really killing it right there. And the rush defense for the Seahawks, that's one area that's been pretty solid for them throughout pretty much the bigger part of the season. And with just how putrid this Bucks running attack has been, there's not going to be much, much to do on the ground there. And ultimately, it kind of sounds funny to say, considering what we expected in the preseason with this Seattle secondary, I think their DBs are going to have the advantage over the majority, if not all of the Bucks pass catchers this, this uh, Sunday as well. Godwin and Evans, they've just have not looked like themselves all year. If it hasn't been a screen pass, then it really hasn't been much to it. You, we've of course have seen Godwin dropping passes there. If it's not Godwin, it's somebody else like Scotty Miller dropped the one that hit him dead in the face mask against the Rams just recently. So overall it's, it just hasn't really been impressive there. Chase, I'll, I'll go to you. From a fantasy perspective, is there anybody in this game that maybe you think has a performance that wasn't what some people might be thinking it will be? Actually, I really love Kenneth Walker. I love his talent. However, I'm tempering my expectations on him this week. Uh, 
just with how good Tampa Bay's defense has been to running backs, I don't expect Kenneth Walker to be performing what he has the last few weeks. I feel like he's going to be a solid, you know, 12 to 15 points this week, but I don't see the upside of him coming in there and scoring, you know, the 20 plus fantasy points that he's done the last couple weeks. And also Leonard Fournette, I don't think you can rely on him. As you mentioned, Seattle's rushing defense has improved, especially over the last four weeks. Through the last four weeks, they haven't allowed more than 59 rushing yards to a running back. Mm. So I feel like and the only running back that really has done anything was Austin Eckler, and that was through the passing game. We may be able to see that for Leonard Fournette, which is his skill set with how much he has been used through the passing game. I just don't think he has the same burst as Eckler. So yeah. I'm somebody that would look elsewhere if options with how many injuries have gone on this year. You may not have other options, but yeah, I feel like both running backs are kind of stay away for me. And then on the passing side, I actually, you know, don't want to touch anybody in this game. Uh, you could stream Kate Otten, I guess. But when it comes to, you know, wide receivers, Tampa Bay has been pretty good against wide receivers. And so has Seattle. Uh, they're both kind of middle of the pack when it comes at that position. Uh, you're probably starting your Mike Evans and Chris Godwin just based off of volume that they're getting. They're probably each going to get 10 plus targets. However, DK and uh, Chris Godwin, or not Chris Godwin, uh, Tyler Lockett, I feel like are some wide receivers that you may look elsewhere this week. Interesting, interesting. Hmm, okay. Uh, looking on the other side of the ball, Corday, I know you have the Seahawks winning this one. I would, I would have to agree with you. I just don't know how you can look at this Tampa Bay offense and expect really much of anything to stick. It's almost like you people are over here yelling at the sky, like, it's going to work. They're going to find their stride, but they just haven't yet. Something that, that I wanted to bring up, though, also with this Seahawks team overall, this is the best draft class I think that they have had in Ooh. a long-ass time. Jordan, say it again for the people in the back. I don't think they heard you. This draft class, not only is it the best one that the Seattle Seahawks have had in some time now, this is the best draft class in the NFL in 2022. And honestly, it's not close. It's not. The Jets, cool. Good job, Jets. Good job. I like what you did. Nicely done. Most of them are three first-round picks uh, for the Jets, so you kind of like, they didn't have that. So, yeah. They didn't have that. But really, I mean, if you look at the, this, this, this whole entire draft class, just start with, as you had mentioned, Chase had mentioned Kenneth Walker, who's in the runnings and competing with, with Damian Pierce right now for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's probably in the running for me. I think he just has a little bit more juice, and he hasn't really – Toted the rock as many times as Damian has up to this point. He wasn't active early in the season, et cetera. But to get two tackles in the first round and in the third round, to be able to be your bookend tackles for what looks like the next coming years to go, and then to also be able to sure up both cornerback spots, and then to be able to land a nickelback in that, in that same rotation and to add a rotational edge player who is coming into his effectiveness as well. That's just, that's a home run. That's a grand slam. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have, we have been very critical of John Snyder, and rightfully so. I wouldn't take anything back during the previous years of what I've said of him. And a lot of Seahawks fans, being up here in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, I, I hear them a lot. A lot of Seahawks fans were very hesitant on them drafting any of the tackles towards that top area of the draft. And when they took Charles Cross, their reasoning behind not liking it was simply because, well, in the past we drafted tackles and it didn't work. Well, congrats. Told y'all he was going to pay off, and here they are but I didn't expect them to be as good as they are right now. 
Corday, what's your final score in this game, and how do the Seahawks get there? I think a 28-17. I think the Seahawks are going to be run all over uh, Tampa Bay. That's the funny thing about it. Tampa Bay's defense hasn't been playing as well as they used to. Not like in the passing game, but the running game, like stopping the run. Honestly, they haven't been as good as we thought, or as usually as we think of them. Like, oh, you can't run on them. They got Vita Vea. They got they got uh, this player. They got this player. I oh, think, for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I think the loss of Sue has really played a part because they try to replace him with Akeem Hicks, who's been injured. I think like for like the last five years in a row. And then as soon as he got there, he played for like two games, and now he's like hurt for like six weeks or something like that. That loss of Sue Vita Vea, and they like let go of JPP and uh, uh, Shaquille Shaquille Barrett, Shaq Barrett, out for the yeah, season. Shaq Barrett's out for the season. Much, yeah. That's all their front. That's all like that's all front seven stuff that usually are people stopping the run, and it's really been Devin White's having a down year as well. So it's really just. I think Kenneth Walker can actually uh, get loose on this team because we think of them still as a dominant uh, run-stuffing team, and that really hasn't been that way within these last four weeks on this team. So I'm just like, it's a shocker to me. I'm like, okay, Vita Vea, yep, out of place, out of place. Because I'll be watching Warren Sapp, and he'd be criticizing his Bucks team. He was like, what the hell is this? What kind of – you say, this ain't buck ball. This ain't you, – you ain't in your gap. You ain't in your gap. Cut back. Uh-huh. He's like, shh. That man getting loose. <laughs> he oh, simply would rip the C off of Devin yeah. White's chest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Oh! That was he said. one of the best comments and was so damn funny. He was like, somebody need to take this C off Devin White's chest. He's like, let's see how he runs to the ball. Oh, where, where you at? You not even? I was, I was dying. I was dying. You know, it's, I've been a person who's often talked about, like, Devin White makes splash plays. Devin White is a Freak of nature, athletically. Absolute freak, right? With how fast he is, how big and strong he is. As a blitzer, there's he might be the best like off-ball inside linebacker when it comes to just sending him on a blitz. He might be the best in the league at that. Running backs just simply cannot handle him with that speed and power that he's able to generate. But in coverage, the dude on all 22 film, I if there's if basically if you're watching the game live and there's a big play over the middle somewhere, the likelihood that Devin White is at fault in that coverage. Probably right. Probably it's, you're probably right. If you watch big runs where a running back's like going to cut back, watch Devin Wright. He's likely to overrun it. Mm-hmm. But then if you turn on, you know, he drops back. There's a sack. Oh, Devin White sack. Force fumble. Yeah. You know, which those splash plays do matter and they are important. But the totality of games, when you are able to just keep track of and isolate one player and not be restricted to what the broadcast view does restrict your vision to, you see his his ills, and then ju- and then even more than those, I think, are being exposed this year so far. Furthermore, to that Bucks defense, the secondary just is it's also full of its injuries, and it's also yeah. lost players. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jordan Whitehead is balling over there in New York. Antoine Winfield, he's not playing. You have injuries to yeah. yeah he's up. He's he's not playing. He's, he's he's been hurt, and he was a real pivotal piece back there. So basically, it's been Carlton Davis, some bits of Jamel Dean sprinkled in here. Sean Murphy bunting in and out of the lineup as well. It's just they don't look like themselves. Brady doesn't look like himself. The offensive line pretty much from the center to all the way to the left tackle. Donovan Smith's kind of picked it back up to his usual self. But that interior of the offensive line is, you can just tell, Brady is not as comfortable to stand in there strong 
and use just those subtle pocket movements to avoid the pass rush. And with the way that Seattle's pass rush has been turning up lately, especially, I just I see it being too hard for them. And so give me the Seahawks. I like the score. The two it's, Tampa Bay is actually favored here by two and a half. Yeah, I'll get that. Yeah, I like the score to be traveling pretty far. It's not going to be. Let I me mean, give me twenty three to uh, twenty three sixteen, Seattle. Okay. Yep. Now we will bring it into the fantasy portion of the show. Chase, welcome. This is your area. This is your domain. We got to bless the folks with stuff to help them keep winning. Everybody, I hope you survive the bipocalypse. I hope you. <laughs> <laughs> I know hey. I didn't for sure. I only won one one league because I had Joe Mixon and Patrick Mahomes on the same team. So, but I played against <laughs> Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, I mean, last week I because of recording issues, the podcast didn't get uh, published. But we were me and Corday did get some information out there, and I did say to start Justin Fields. I told he everybody did. he did. He like, did. I swear on everything. It's written down. I was like Justin Fields was my start of the week. I had him as a top five uh, quarterback. And boy, did he ever pay off. Um, did not see the Joe Mixon coming in with five touchdowns. Did not. No, see that I mean, happen. who would have seen that? That's just, that's crazy. Yeah, it's been, it was a crazy week. Uh, I mean, whether you face Joe Mixon or Justin Fields or a combo of both, uh, it was a very, very crazy week on scoring. A uh, lot of games were probably won with just two players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in the league I was trying to tank in dynasty wise, I was like, oh, well. I'm down to two quarterbacks. Let me start Justin Fields. Probably put put up like 17 points, and I could probably still lose because I, you know, I'm playing for a better draft pick. Nope, put up 42 points and completely destroyed my opponent. I was like, oh god. There you go. There you uh, go. Yeah. For people looking to destroy their opponents this week, we're going to help them with some starts and sits. Right, starting off with a start, we'll go to the quarterback side. Who are you starting a quarterback? I'm going to start Trevor Lawrence at Kansas City. There's only been two quarterbacks that have scored fewer than 20 points against Kansas City. That was Matt Ryan and Malik Willis. So I think if you're looking at, you know, streaming any type of quarterback, you need to plug and play Lawrence into your lineup and just kind of set in and forget it this week. It's a very plus ma- a very plus matchup for quarterbacks in fantasy. So I expect them to be passing more, which translates to more fantasy points for quarterbacks. And I love that option for Lawrence this week. Nice. Who is the sit at the QB spot? So I've been streaming this uh, quarterback off and on. uh, And, you know, with Rodgers, you know, underperforming, Brady underperforming, Stafford underperforming, this has been a frequent quarterback of mine in leagues where I have any one of those. And that is Jacoby Brissett. Uh, He's been actually really good this year for fantasy scoring as a streamer. But on the road, even though it's a plus matchup, he's going to Miami. He has not been great on the road this year, and I just don't trust it. So that's it's unfortunate because usually, you know, I would probably, uh, you know, start him over Brady this week. I'm probably going to take Brady. I'd start him over Rodgers this week. I'd probably take Rodgers. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Even after that putrid one that Rodgers put up against the Detroit Lions. He's putting up 16 points a week, and it's consistent, but it's not very good. But. I think it's much safer than the range outcomes for Jacoby Brissett as a streamer this week. That makes sense. That makes sense. For the start this week at the running back spot, who are you going with? Cordell Patterson. Uh, going versus Carolina. 
They obviously just gave up a lot, fired their D-line coach uh, because of Mixon. But even before that, the Panthers were allowing 22 points per game to the running back. Uh, so, And Patterson last week, first game back after the injury, uh, put up 18.3 fantasy points on 39% of snaps. I expect his snaps to increase, and I feel like 18 points is probably his uh, where I expect him to finish this week, and I love it. So don't worry about the snap percentage. That's going to be going up. I feel like 18 points is right around where he should be finishing this week. His first game back, Cordero Patterson is like a special team gadget guy, wide receiver, converted tailback. Trucks Drew Tranquil <laughs> on his first game back. Just puts him on the ground, puts him in his head. Oh, yeah. He's he's fun fun guy to watch. On the other side of that coin, who are you putting on the bench at the running back position? Man, it's hard to bench a player like this. But Dalvin Cook versus Buffalo, if Josh Allen plays. If so, Josh Allen plays. So if he plays, I am benching Dalvin Cook if I have the option. And the reason why is Dalvin Cook uh, is averaging 15.7 points per game. That's not very great. That's already pretty low for a running back with as much capital as most people spent into him. But in games where they have been playing from behind, again, Philly, you know, uh, and uh, Miami, those are the main two games that stick out uh, that where they played from behind at any point in the game. In those games, uh, Dalvin Cook was limited to 14 or fewer touches. And on top of that, he put up a max of 15 points and a minimum of six or seven points. So that's where I feel like his range of outcomes is this week. He's actually had a very easy schedule this year. Very easy. Green Bay has been great against uh, running backs. Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, and Miami. And out of those, he's only had one game, or two, or, and Arizona. He's only had two games above 15 points, and that was Chicago and Arizona. Mm. I feel like, you know, running back of that talent should be producing much more than that, and it's just not translating. And I, I think if Josh Allen plays, they're going to get, you know, controlled uh, possession of the ball or time of possession. Uh, they're going to run up the score, and it's going to change the game script for uh, Dalvin Cook. And even with the speculation around Dalvin Cook, uh, uh, Bills are still a favorite. They're still mm -hmm. five-and-a-half-point favorites. So that already oh, tells you the speculation that. around Josh Allen? Yeah, around Josh Allen not playing. Right. Okay. So if Josh Allen plays, are you starting Khalil Herbert over Dalvin Cook? Because I'm trying to think of like somebody else that could be on a roster as like a uh, you know, a, a running back in the mix if someone went Dalvin Cook early in their draft. I, I would definitely start Miles Sanders over Dalvin Cook. Uh, I would start Khalil Herbert. I would start Jamal Williams over uh, Cook. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. But Jamal Williams has, you know, he's still top 15 running back on the season, and Cook is 13. So if you were to say that those names were that close and that's scoring true. on the season, that's you wouldn't. I would also start Pollard over Cook this week. Okay. David Montgomery. Well, I don't, yeah, David Montgomery over Dalvin Cook as well. Him and Herbert over him as well. He's still getting the usage and he's versus Detroit. Yeah, I would start David Montgomery. Mm, not looking like a good week. No, like, like I feel like David Montgomery and Cook's probably the line because they're, they're probably just neck and neck for me. Okay. Cook probably has a safer floor, but I feel like I feel like with the matchup, David Montgomery probably has the higher ceiling. All right. 
wide receiver, who are you plugging into any lineup that you can as your start? Chris Olave, man. He's scored double digits in every point or every game in fantasy or in PPR leagues in fantasy this season. And he has a great upside versus a terrible uh, Pittsburgh defense. So who's terrible versus wide receivers. I would love to uh, start Olave if I can. And yeah, I, I just really like him this week. He he's he's te- and he looks like in real football too. That dude is an, that dude's nice. He looks good. He's my Nasty, second best bro. receiver coming out of the out of the draft. Liked him a lot. Who was your number one? It was Garrett Wilson. Okay, I don't yeah. blame you. It was Garrett Wilson. Wide receiver sits. Where are you going? Any Colts wide receiver? <laughs> Amari Cooper on the Michael road. Pittman? I'm sitting Michael Pittman. With Ellinger. It hasn't like, looked good with him at it, all. It's, you, you can't rely on him, man. You just can't. I am trying to sell Pittman right now if I can for anything. Uh, I even, I, and I'll get into this later in the buy and sells, but I'm even trying to sell Pittman for London. Yeah. And I'll get into that because I have a lot of information on that later on when we kind of get into some buy and sells. All right. Tight end. Who is the start of the week? So there's two tight ends that I really like this week as they're mainly as streamers, because as we've kind of already, you know, hammered into everybody's brains at this point is you're going to stream tight ends if you don't have Kelsey Goddard or uh, Andrews, if he's healthy or even Fryermuth. I would go as deep as Fryermuth to kind of put in my weekly starts that you don't have to worry about. Ertz has kind of Ertz has been another great, uh, reliable one. So, but I like Dolchitz versus ten, or at Tennessee and Cole Commit versus Detroit. I think both of those are great options to be uh, plugging in playing this week. Uh, I know Commit is available in a couple of my leagues on the waivers, and I'm definitely going to be putting him in my, on my waiver wire. So, yeah. Yeah, those are nice little plugs. I used Dol- You had recommended Dolchich a couple weeks ago on a tight end streamer, and I had to use him when I had, I think it was when I had Kelsey on a bye, and it was when they played the Jags in London and Dolchitz, I think had 80 yards on the day and like five grabs. So it was really good, really yeah, good plug in and Russell looks yeah, for him. Four receptions for 87 yards, 12 uh, PPR points was definitely a very solid outputting uh, or output. And that's exactly what I mentioned previously. He seems like he's, he's averaging 12 points per game and I'm all for it, which is odd because aside from Will Disley, we never saw Will, uh, Wilson target the tight end position this frequently. This is true. We also saw never Russell Wilson never sucked this frequently. But hey, here we are. <laughs> Did you draft him? I heard a little bit of uh, disdain in there. Disdain? Oh, just you know, none of that. I just saw this coming. That's all. Uh, who are oh, we? Who who are we sitting at tight end this this week? Gerald Everett, man, he's just unreliable right now. Did you see that drop he had on the post route in like early in the game against Atlanta? There is nobody within a zip code of him. Drop. And, and, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation, but he's just been extremely unreliable this year and in uh, tough matchups versus the tight end. And by that, I mean, like, defenses that are ranked top 15 versus the tight end. Jacksonville, he had two receptions for 25 yards on six targets. Cleveland, he had one reception for two yards on three targets. Denver, uh, five receptions for 29 yards on seven targets. And now he has San Francisco, who I believe is ranked higher than Cleveland on uh, defense versus uh, tight ends. But it's his toughest matchup all year. I don't expect him to be doing very well against the uh, 
against San Francisco. I just don't see it being a matchup I want to start him in at all. Yeah, that's solid. And, and right he started off, you know, like the first, you know, three of the first four weeks, a great start. You know, he's just, yeah, put him in there. He's plug and play. You're good to go. But yeah, uh, the 49ers are seventh versus the tight end. So I'm not, I'm not starting. Uh, stream team, who are you looking to stream this week if people are in, like in a pinch with a buy and need to fill in a spot? As I mentioned, London. Okay, not only is he a stream for me, he is a buy low. And you can ask CJ, I already made this happen in one of the dynasty leagues that we're in. Like I made it, I made it happen quick and effortlessly uh, with one of our other league mates in that league. But obviously, the offense is much better with Cordell Patterson in there. He brings a different type of explosiveness. Uh, even that that defenses actually have to pay attention to. So he makes defenses more honest, in my opinion. But weeks one through three, when Patterson was on the field, uh, the offense was moving better. London was actually performing. We were talking about him, you know, weeks one through three. Mm-hmm. Week one, five receptions, 74 yards, zero touchdowns, but zero red zone targets. Week two, eight receptions for 86 yards, a touchdown with two red zone targets. Week three, three receptions uh, uh, for 54 yards and a touchdown on one red zone target. Those are, you know, we're looking at roughly, you know, 12 to, you know, uh, 20 plus or 12 to 20, like a, a, a fast range, but double digits in every week uh, in, fantasy, in PPR leagues. But then move on to week nine. He almost had a touchdown. And if he had a touchdown, we wouldn't be having this conversation as a buy low. But London had three receptions on seven targets, so those targets went back up for 23 yards, didn't get that touchdown, but he had five red zone targets. So if this offense is going to be moving much better with Patterson in the game, mm-hmm. and this is the first game that Patterson was back, I hope that translates to seeing what we saw as a trend in the first three weeks for London. So that is somebody I'm looking to buy. And if you think about it, since London or since Patterson went out, London had one of the toughest wide receiver schedules of all wide receivers. Uh, He went through the ringer, kind of having Seattle, Cleveland, San Francisco, Cincinnati, and the Chargers. Chargers being this most recent week. But those are all really tough versus the wide receiver. The remainder of the season, he has one top 15 defense left that he has to face, and that's Chicago in week 11, Carolina week 10. That's bottom 10. Washington, bottom 10. Pittsburgh, bottom 10. New Orleans, bottom 15. Baltimore, bottom 10. Arizona, bottom 15. Mm. So that's a very cake uh, schedule for a uh, wide receiver coming up. And I'm hoping he really starts to break out at the end of the season. And as we've known, you know, just based off of years of, you know, playing this game, Wide rookie wide receivers usually take a while to acclimate. He was acclimating sure. very nicely to start, and I feel like the offense is probably going to get more opened up with Patterson in there, and I think that's going to allow Mariota to throw more. I hope that changes the game, uh, the uh, play calling a little bit and the game scripts for him. So I'm hoping, and again, this is a buy for me. I'm hoping that I can buy low enough on uh, London to be able to put him in there, and I would even start him this week. Okay. Uh, where are you going defensively? People want to look to stream a good defense this week. So I do like Denver a lot this week uh, at Tennessee if they're available. I also like Arizona. You think Cardinals they're out there in most leagues? So I'm showing that they're available right now in 72% of leagues. 
Wow. That's way higher than I would have expected. So Denver and the other one is available in 75%, and that's using the Sleeper app. Sleeper, I don't know if anybody uses it. I love the app, but they actually tell you roster percentages on there as well. So that's another uh, team. And keep in mind, they are probably available because they were on buy on week nine. Who's the other one that you're going to bring up for a defense? I also like Arizona. Interesting. Against the Rams with the way that offense has looked and the way yeah. that pressure. That the last, that the last time they faced the Rams this year, they it wasn't a high-scoring game or anything like that. There was a lot of yards. But I feel like, fantasy-wise at least, but I feel like you know Arizona should definitely be considered because that's one of the worst offensive lines in football. Mm-hmm. Indeed it has been. Uh, apart from Drake London, did you have any other buy lows or sell highs at the moment? I'm selling high on Miles Sanders if I can. He's coming off of one of the better outputs. He scored a touchdown. He had six red zone uh, touches. I feel like this is probably going to be the best time to sell him if I can sell him, even for like a Drake London type. I don't know if people are that low on London or that high on Sanders. I would love to try and pull off something like that. Do you still go Obviously, for that in a non-dynasty? In a non-dynasty, if it depends like on what my rest team of season. Yeah, rest of season, I would want London over Sanders. Interesting. Okay, damn. Yeah. I'll bet that a lot of people could probably make that deal. Yeah, and, and But it also depends on your running back depth. If you don't sure. have the depth to be trading Sanders, don't trade Sanders. But if you have the depth, like maybe you draft, like in one of my leagues, I have Sanders, Pierce, and Walker. There you thankfully. go. Thankfully. I went pretty much zero RB strategy. I was kind of rough, but it worked out. So in that league, the only thing that's kind of holding me back is Walker's bye week, I believe, is week 11. So that would be the only reason I wouldn't do a trade like that. And that same league, I also offered Pittman for London, hoping I could pull that off. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Looking at it, though, I have a couple others that I really like. I don't know if they're necessarily uh, buy lows or sell highs. They're just people that I really like a lot. Josh Palmer, as long as we don't have Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, he is definitely going to be a start every week. Uh, you could look at uh, selling high on him right now because somebody may be looking at just that. But once they are both back, I feel like Josh Palmer's value diminishes tremendously. As I've mentioned every week, I'm on Ross St. Brown. <laughs> you know, it's one of my guys. Uh, but he had 34, uh, 34.6% target share last week, ran a route on 100% of dropbacks. I love the volume. He, I believe he had ten target or nine targets for uh, <clears throat> five receptions or something like that, and fifty-four yards. I have to double check real quick, but even with that, I think that's just a lot of great opportunity to be putting on your team. Uh, nine targets, four receptions for fifty-five yards, and then also uh, just talking about like high-value touches, Etn and uh, Kenneth Walker. Both are getting an extreme amount of high value touches. And this is like the reason why I always bring this up every week and like kind of translate, you know, like whether whatever player I had talked about in the past, but like talking about those opportunities, those deep passes, along with, you know, those red zone targets, seeing players that are getting goal line carries or red zone targets translates. And now you start seeing, you know, ETN seven red zone touches. That's seven times on high, on high percentage chances of scoring touchdowns with four of them being goal line carries. He turned that into two touchdowns. That helps you win weeks. And I just kind of want to like just emphasize same thing that happened same thing with Kenneth Walker. Three goal line carries, nine red zone touches. 
turned that into two uh, touchdowns uh, on goal line carry specifically too. Just seeing those opportunities for players is going to be where you're going to be able to win your leagues at. So catching those early on is also great. And one last player, Jeff Wilson. Go grab him if he's available. If not, try and make an offer for him. He came in, and I thought he was going to take some time to acclimate to that offense. Nine carries, 51 yards, three receptions, 21 yards, and a touchdown. 49% snap share, first uh, week in that offense. Mostert, 47%. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last one. Sorry, I know that was a lot of information. No, that's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. People should go scan the waiver wire. As a matter of fact, if you can believe it or not, in one of my leagues, Drake London is sitting on the waiver wire right now. Better go grab him. Just put <laughs> yeah. in a claim. So, so you're, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, if you have, if, if he's on the waiver wire, I'm definitely going to grab him. I don't think he's on the waiver in any league that I'm on. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I didn't expect him to but, see him there, but he just so he, happens to be. The shallowest league I'm in, he, he's, he's rostered. But, yeah. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. We will now move into our underdog of the week, Corday. I'll let you go ahead and have a first stab at it. Who's your underdog this week? Which game are you looking at? Ah, good question, Jordan. I mean, yeah, Jordan. I was getting confused with you and Jay. Uh, well, I'm a Jay, too. That's the tough part about the whole thing. You said what? Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm like, Jay, Jordan, Jay, Jay. Yeah, it's, it's tough because they're both Jays. Start but, calling, yeah. like, when, I'm talk- when you guys both want to call, I'm just call you Jay Jonah Jameson. Like, that's kind of- <laughs> We don't know who's going to answer. Exactly. Like, Jay Joe. Like, hey, like, who? Oh, what? What? Um, I was honestly looking at a few games. I was looking at this. Uh, honestly, man, I was looking at this. Uh, you know, I don't even care for this team. I was looking at the L.A. Chargers against the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are favored in this one. And I'm just like, what? Wait, wait, wait. Let me get this straight. So you're looking at the Chargers as your underdog to upset the Niners? Yeah. Really? I would have yeah. not expected that would have been the team you would go with. I didn't think so either, but I keep, I've been looking at them. I'm just like, hmm. 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 And, I, and I'm just like, I feel like I want to take a reach on this team because everybody praises them and stuff. And I know the Niners, I mean, I know the Chargers have a ton of injuries. Uh, but I just don't like Jimmy G and I, it's weird cause I don't like the chargers, but then I really don't like Jimmy G more. That's what I was going to say. Cause I remember before yeah. we started, you were talking about, yeah, I don't like the chargers. <laughs> I don't like the chargers. I don't like the chargers. And I think also what it is too, is that the fact that I don't like Niners fans saying that Jimmy G's a franchise quarterback. Cause I've been trolling him for like the last six weeks. I think that's what it is too. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, plus the chargers are five and three. The Niners are four and four. And both teams have a ton of injuries, too. So I'm kind of looking at it like, okay, let's see um, if the Chargers can do something. I know they don't use Herbert like they should sometimes. He still has those fractured ribs, which I'm still like, how do you still have fractured ribs after all these weeks? But you never had a time to heal. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. and I'm going going to go with the Chargers against the Niners uh, in this Cause I just I just feel like I want to be petty against all those Niner fans. I just want to post a funny meme uh, and just like say I thought Jimmy G was clutch, man. I just want to I want to do it. <laughs> so I think I'm going with my my pettiness a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> by okay. picking the Chargers. I'm picking so, the Chargers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, there's a couple of ways that I could go. We had already talked about how we like Seattle both outright against Tampa. Tampa Bay is two and a half point favorites in this game. Another way that I would want to go is that's tempting to go. And this would just be a, uh, really just me uh, wallowing in my sorrows is to, is to lean the Colts as underdogs or the Raiders favored by six. But uh, <laughs> Sam Ellinger might be the one thing that's looked more awful than uh, at least this Raiders defense. Um, so I'm not really going to go there. But I do think where I'm going to go, I like the Cardinals against the Rams this weekend. Okay. Okay. Rams come in at three and a half point favorites in this one at home in L.A. And it's just it's looked very, very bad. It, particularly, this was also brought up by Chase. He was talking about the offensive line for the Rams. And we've seen just how ugly it's been at times. Stafford has dipped in and out of being the most highly pressured quarterback in the NFL throughout the course of the season. And now he gets the team that just sends these insane, make no sense type of pressure looks in the Cardinals where they'll walk up sometimes have seven dudes, maybe eight, looking like they're coming after the quarterback, and you don't know which of the eight are coming or which of the seven are coming. They lead the league in terms of blitzes with seven or more people right now. So, and I just see that it see that causing a lot of problems. And you know who you have to shut down on that Rams offense? It's Cooper Cup. He's going to get loose for one because he's Cooper Cup. But overall, throughout the course of the game, though, I do see it them being able to move the ball, have success, you know, with Kyler scampering for yards, linking up with DeAndre Hopkins. And I think he'll be able to not scream and yell at D hop and Cliff Kingsbury enough to where they get the win. So yeah, I'll take, I'll take the Cardinals in this one. Cause I think, you know, four and six for the Cardinals, let the Rams drop to three, man, the Rams be three and six. If they lose that. That's crazy. Hmm. The season is a weird one. This season is a weird one. But one thing that's not so weird is where Buffalo sits as we slide into our game of the week, which, but the counterparts, I would say, within their division up there in the AFC East is what is pretty shocking, just how that division right now is up for grabs. Whoever wants to go get it. And the Buffalo Bills have shown they are human. Josh Allen is indeed that. He is Josh Allen. He's not Josh Alien, but some games he is. In this game, Corday, what mainly are you going to be looking out for in this week's game of the week between the Bills and the Vikings? I'm going to see how Josh Allen's arm is responding. Um, he, what did he sprain? His UCL yeah. uh, ligament in his in it's his elbow. Yeah, his <laughs> elbow, yeah. And uh, I hope it isn't something serious, but the, the hit that he took definitely um, didn't look right. It looked like, honestly, when I saw it, I thought it thought he hurt his forearm, but it makes sense that it hurts his elbow because where he was throwing in the business position it was in. And I feel like I was watching like get up and like ESPN this morning and I feel like they were making maybe a bigger deal than what it is because they still haven't got the MRIs back and they do the show super early in the morning. So it was a, a unknown at the point. So I think they're trying to figure out like, okay, if this gets bad, like if, you know, if it's a possible thing where it might linger uh, that they should probably sit him. Like, they asked the crew, they was like, do you want uh, a slowly hobbled Josh Allen who's playing through this injury, or would you rest him for several weeks? And everybody was like, I'll rest him for several weeks. Because it also reminds me of that time uh, Carson Palmer, years ago, took an injury to uh, his elbow, and then, you're, unfortunately, your Raiders traded for him, and yeah. he didn't play particularly well. But a lot of people didn't know he was dealing with... Um, uh, 
a bad elbow injury that he missed half the season with. And he was supposed to get John, uh, Tommy John surgery, but he elected to just rehab instead. And it took him, I think he said, like two, two and a half years before he felt right. And that's why he started to ball out when he went to uh, Carroll, I mean, the Cardinals, because he had finally was healed from that injury. Um, so I just want to see how that goes. Um, and then if we come back and just over here just gunslinging like the Josh Allen we know, then we're like, ah, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter as much or it's not as big as we thought it was going to say. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, if, if that elbow, I mean, that's really kind of the key to the game as far as a lot yeah. of people think. I know a couple of Viking fans this week that that are expecting really, expecting a blowout if Josh Allen plays, honestly. They're okay. expecting Josh Allen to be able to just get a huge win, get a bounce back win. Because, I mean, if you think about it, I haven't, honestly, I mean, the Vikings haven't played great, even though they sit here with a very impressive record currently in the NFL. They haven't looked dominant like a 7-1 team like you would normally expect, but the fact that they are able to just squeeze out close wins does say a lot to who they are as a ball club. And even some Vikings fans think that if if we see, <clears throat> who is it, uh, Chase? No, not Chase. Why I keep thinking uh, Case Keenum? If Case Keenum is in there, he's Viking fans are familiar with him and familiar with what he and Stephon Diggs are capable of doing. So... They think that it can still be close. Overall, though, this it comes down to whether or not Josh Allen's playing for me. I think ultimately that's it's. I don't think I'm really breaking news there by saying that as well. Over, what are your thoughts right now throughout the course of this season on this Vikings defense? I think this Vikings defense is balling, honestly. Zadarius uh, Smith, which I said at the time, the Packers had a choice to either uh, resign Preston Smith. Or Sedarius Smith, and then they still had um, uh, Rashawn Gary too. Rashawn, Rashawn Gary, who just tore his ACL, so I hope he has a speedy recovery because I believe they picked up his fifth year option. So I'm not sure if he's playing on his fourth year or on that fifth year option, but I hopefully he can return back. I knew Preston Preston Smith was always the one B or the two to, or like most people like to say the Batman, the Robin to the Batman, and I feel mm-hmm. like Sedarius Smith was that Batman. But because he was older and Preston Smith played all of last year and uh, Zadarius Smith, I think it was on counts like, I think it was 20-some-odd million against their cap, they released him but because he had that back injury. But now we see he's back to full form and he's out here balling. And I feel like that's the one thing they messed up by not resigning him. Also, the same thing that Baltimore messed up by not giving him more money or failing him on his physical because we can see now that the dude is balling right now. Uh, Harrison Smith uh, looking like the same guy of old. Uh, they 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 switched more to a, a three four scheme versus the four three that Mike Zimmer uh, did. Uh, Patrick Peterson is actually looking pretty decent because they got him playing more in zone instead of man as he's gotten older. So yeah, this this defense actually looks pretty nice. Akeem uh, not Akeem Hicks, but uh, Jordan Hicks, former he's Eagle. He's having a good uh, season. Yeah, he's having a good season. I mean, he was being slept on last year. He was playing so good that they bitched Zayvon Collins for him. Like, Zayvon yeah, Collins was the even best play. linebacker Arizona had, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he didn't even – Zayvon Collins didn't even play. I think, he, I think he got five snaps in the playoff game last year against him. And Jordan Hicks has always been a ball in the 3-4 scheme. That's why I noticed. I remember when we had him, it was switched to a 4-3. He wasn't as good, but he's a, a dope 3-4 inside middle linebacker. So, I'm liking this team. I was actually shocked that his defense returned to form. Uh, like they have, but Sedarius Smith going off didn't didn't really shock me. 
he was always a baller when healthy. And I'm he, liking. He had one unhealthy season too, which was crazy. Just one, right? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he that was he missed most of the year, and he was out, and that was yeah. kind of it. And ever since yeah. then, he's been this same dude that just wrecks opposing offensive yeah. lines. <clears throat> and they're using him really similar to how Green Bay used him with that spinner yeah. package. And yep. that, that's it's it's a dope look. You basically get the two defensive tackles, which will be hopefully Dalvin Tomlinson will be one of the two. He ended up missing the commander's game and it's yeah. questionable right now as we record this on a Tuesday. Dalvin Tomlinson, Jordan Phillips and Ross Blacklock are they kind of swap those guys in and out. Those guys, when they get to that spinner package looks are the defensive tackles that are head up on the opposing offensive tackles, basically face to face. The edge guys on the line of scrimmage, which has been Daniil Hunter. And sometimes Jordan Hicks on one side, and if it's not if it's not a Hunter, then it's DJ Wanham, who's on the who's on the other side. And those dudes on the edge of the line of scrimmage, the weak side rusher is in a wide nine, and the and the strong side rusher, the guy who's on the tight end side, is in a seven technique. So he's basically like just outside of that guy. Yep. And then they take Zadarius Smith and Lance Kendrick, and they have those dudes just standing up, walking around between the guards and the center, just mm-hmm. like just moving around and roaming. And like, you don't know if they're coming. You don't know who's coming where. And they will rush them into the same gap. They will they will twist them. They will stump them. They will have one guy just barrel in as a masher and kind of make like a their stand up own version of like a stunt where Z just runs at the center and then Kendricks comes off of him. They'll have one guy run and then maybe someone else spy for the back that's going to leak out. Or if it's a mobile quarterback, like they're going to see if Josh Allen plays him being the person to sit there and try to take that down. So there's just it's it's really it causes a lot of problems just with how it's sitting like that, because the tackles can't really help inside because of the positioning of where the defensive tackles are directly in front of them, also in relation to where the edge rushers are, too. So it's it's those looks where Zedarius has just been wrecking havoc. And in that interior for the Bills, it's going to be Roger Saffold, the left guard, Mitch Morse, and Ryan Bates, the right guard, who are being able to the ones to try to deal with it. And Zedarius Smith, just like you said, to put some context into how much he is balling, over the last four games, the guy has 16 pressures, seven tackles for losses, and five and a half sacks. He's currently second in the NFL with eight and a half sacks and first in pressure rate, according to True Media at this point in time. Dude is just, he's been a monster. Second in the league in sacks right now. Tied for it with Nick Bosa behind Matthew Judon, as we sit here right now. But he ball, Judon balling, too. The funny thing about it, I'm glad you brought up Matthew Judon real quick. I just have to say this. Both of Matthew Judon and Zadarius Smith both came from the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. was always known to drafting an outside linebacker, and they knew in about two years the dude was going to have a Pro Bowl year, and then probably wouldn't re-sign him because they had Terrell Suggs on the other side and they had all their money tied up and he was going to go to some team and be maybe effective, but not as effective. And now both these dudes are balling. I felt that they should have kept Zadarius Smith over Matthew Judon because I feel like Zadarius was more of the playmaker and could get sacks. I think Judon's playing well and has been unleashed in uh, uh, the Patriots, which well, they're literally blitz to the side and single him up a lot versus the Darius, I feel like, can beat double teams and can, like, get to the quarterback lining up anywhere along the D-line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's – he that dude – that dude's a battering ram from just yeah. wherever he's coming from. Yeah. yeah. It's – he's he's kind of – he's really unique in that way because yeah, dudes, 
the dude's approaching 280 pounds, right? Yeah. He's a monster, yep. but he moves so well, like just on his feet. He's very, very good on his feet. Really good power rusher. Knifes in very well. It, it's fun to watch. So just everybody listening, watch, look for those spinner packages on mm-hmm. third and long. And I think that's going to really be where uh, Minnesota looks to have their success. The secondary, though, for Minnesota, Harrison Smith to me has had it. He's he's not bad yet, but he's having he still has you know some ball hawk plays, yeah. but he's just not he's he's getting up there in age. This is his eleventh year in yeah. the NFL, yeah, and they're they've had some they've had mostly some good health throughout a good portion of the season back in that secondary, but recently injuries have started to creep up a little bit. Patrick Peterson on the left side, Cameron Dancer is normally playing on the right side. Dampsler, as we were, again, we record on Tuesday. We don't get these injury reports. So if you see him out there, I thought he wasn't playing. No, it's because it was, yeah. we say here on Tuesday, he is, he had an ankle injury in the commander's game last week. And when he went out, he didn't return. So in place of him was a rookie fourth rounder, Caleb Evans, who filled in pretty nicely, the kid out of Missouri. So we're going to have to pay attention to see if he is in there starting on the right side. And then Chandon Sullivan, longtime Green Bay Packer. He's been man in the nickel spot. And Cameron Bynum. Free safety, who is playing because of the injury to Lewis Seen, which sucks because he broke his leg early in the year. One thing, though, that I've been paying attention to, Andrew Booth Jr., second-round corner out of Clemson. He had mm-hmm. a quad injury oh. early in the year. Yep. Other than that, the dude hasn't played. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, he has not played, and Caleb Evans has beaten him out to go in. So I, I, I wonder if we do see an injury, if maybe with the whole week of practice, they look to work Booth in. Maybe his quad's not right. I don't know. I'm just trying to keep trying to keep my eye on that going forward. But this Minnesota defense is the second highest zone team in the NFL. They run it. The only other team that runs more zone than them throughout this portion of the season is the Rams. Just it's it's crazy how much they go to it. And I think the reason for that is that the team speed on that defensive and that defensive secondary just isn't there. And that leaves it open for maybe just, you know, those intermediate fast guys to be able to take advantage of them. So, yeah. It's 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 super funny to me that uh, this team has gone from traditionally a man team to more of a zone. And then Indianapolis did the same thing as well. And both teams became, found a lot of value and a lot of success by doing that to me. It's like, it's just amazing how we was going, man, man, man. And then it's like two zoos. Bring two teams bringing back all this zone. Like I remember, Colts with like the cover two, and uh, they're using zone over there in Minnesota. It's like, oh, it's actually successful, <laughs> you know. And it's under Zimmer, they were they were like such a mix under Zimmer. They'd yeah. run, they'd run, they'd run a good, you know, chunk of man. They'd run, yeah. and then they'd run zone, and they they mix up their coverages, you know, two, three, four, six, and they'd almost run them very equally. Like their distribution between, oh, they have a favorite coverage. Sure, they'd lean one way or another, but their grab bag was unlike anybody else's. Mm-hmm. So, pretty cool to see. Offensively, for the Vikings, on the other side of the ball with them, what do you think the keys to this game will be for them in particular? Say it again, can you repeat that? Oh, keys to victory if for the Vikings' offense. So, when, the, when Minnesota got the ball, oh. where, where, what are you going to be looking for, and what would you like to see that, for them in this game? Uh, control of time of possession getting after Josh Allen. Because the one thing about Josh Allen that we say he's great, he's, uh, he has a cannon form, he's made a lot less mistakes, like he's increased his accuracy, and he's become like this hell of a good quarterback. But when he's starting to get frustrated and they, he starts to get hit, he turns back into the player we know him from like his first 
his first few years where the inaccuracy happens. He's uh trying to force balls. He's trying to play like he's trying to just get out there and throw it to anybody, even if they're open or not. And he starts being prone to more mistakes. He reverts mm-hmm. back when the pressure starts to get there. So if Zadarius Smith, if uh, um, what's the middle Daniel linebacker? Hunter. Daniel Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, Eric Kendricks. Or they can get like pressure on him, and then like receivers aren't getting open immediately or not getting out of the zone. Or if Gabriel Davis, him and Gabriel da- Davis is off like they were last week. Then we can start seeing some some interceptions, some turnovers by uh, Josh Allen. And then if that elbow, it like you know, if he gets starting to get hit and that elbow starts to bother him again, we might see more turnovers. Or maybe they'd be like, oh, we maybe we shouldn't have him out there, but they, he'll probably try to gut it out. And running game with uh, Dalvin Cook and Antonio Madison, which it's always funny to see those two because they look oh, exactly Alexander the same Madison, yeah. player. Yeah, Alexander Madison. They look like the exact same player when they're running the ball. Like the styles are the same. They both had dreads. Now it's easier to tell the two apart because they have different numbers. Uh, but I think uh, Cook changed his number to four and then Madison changed it to three. I'm, and I'm just like, bro, why are we doing this? Like, why is this happening? So it's uh, super, super funny. And honestly, I think Dalvin Cook should have stayed with 33 because I feel like he was a lot more productive in the number 33 than he has been with four going back to his college days. So just a, a mix of that. Oh, and how can I fit, forget the, maybe the top three receiver in the league in Jefferson, Justin Jefferson going off? and a Maybe? Oh, there's no maybe about it. We both know yeah. that. <laughs> I, I mean, right now, dude, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you about this. I think Tyreek Hill's the best right now. He's having the best year. He is. He really is. I think yeah. you'd have to say it's probably you'd have to. You'd, I mean, ability wise, I'd still want to put Tay there, but you just the production isn't consistent and isn't complete. Tyreek's exactly. having the best season of any receiver. I don't really think yeah. that's disputable right now. Yeah. And then uh, Jeff, I'd probably have to go Jefferson and Cup as as the next two. Yeah, I'd I mean, probably. I mean, so Devontae's having a down year, and I think that's why and. Tyreek's having the best year, and I feel like that's elevated him up. That's mm-hmm. that's why I put him up because like I had Tyreek Hill like top three, top two, or whatever, like going off last year. Uh, so that's why I feel like he's he's he now has the number one spot as Tay went down just because the bad season he has to begin the ball thrown to him. So that's why. Mm-hmm. And then two has been out, and this man has still been balling. And then this man might he's on pace to go for twenty two hundred yards. Yeah, and I'm just like. So that's why, you know, and then really about it, Cooper Cup is making a lot more of the, like, a lot more of the plays that, like, I catch it short, and then I just, like, run past everybody. And I feel like if we would have saw more of that, they probably would have, I probably would have been more on board with having him. No, I still wouldn't have put him as number one. But that's because I had him so far out. You can't go from, like, top 15 receiver, top 12 receiver to now all oh, number one. But that's just me. Uh, but Tyreek was always right there, one, two, or three, like kind of range. So it's easier for me to put him up one spot because the number one guy is having a bad year. That's me. So Justin Jefferson going off, Adam Thielen getting his, and then TJ Hawkinson, an uh, in-division trade that we couldn't talk about last week, he had a good game too. I think he had like five catches for like 70-some-odd yards, stuff like that, which is – you want to. so it's, it's dope to see that Kirk Cousins is already going to him because – the loss of Irv Smith, I think he's out like six to ten weeks with a bad yeah. uh, injury. And also, like Irv Smith, just didn't really. How, Irv, Irv Smith, he's he's above average tight end athletically, 
But Very I think much. for what they do in terms of the outside zone run game, yeah. you need someone who's a little bit more sturdy of a blocker. And I think that's what they're getting when they bring over TJ Hawkinson. Absolutely. Because O'Connell, you know, he comes from, he's one of the McVay guys, you know, outside McVay. zone, established that sort of thing, inside zone. And yeah. he's basically, he fits that Higby type of role mm-hmm. better than Irv Smith did, you know. And now Irv Smith can be that secondary piece that kind of plays off of, of, uh, off of Hawkinson if and when he does come back. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see if Irv, they expand his, Smith, his role. Yeah, Irv Smith always had, was never the, he was always the, line up in the slot and be the receiving tight end threat. That's why they kept uh, Kyle Rudolph for so long. Cause like I remember Er Smith used to be making plays from the 20 to the 20, but then as soon as the red zone came, all right, come here, Kyle Rudolph, catch this mm-hmm. fade, you know, for one catch for, for a touchdown or two catches for 20 yards and two touchdowns. And then in fantasy, it's just like, Oh, dang, I this dude's balling. But like in real life, it's just like, this guy has 40 yards mm-hmm. or 20 yards on the day. From two catches, so yeah, yep. To in terms of this Viking offense this year, something that's really jumped out to me with them is that Kevin O'Connell's first fifteen, which everybody listening, the first fifteen is what NFL offenses script for, like when they when they go into a game, they script the first fifteen plays that they want to attack their opponents. Sometimes they might script even more than that. Sean Payton was known to do that, or even John Gruden at times. But the first fifteen for the Vikings have just been so fire this year. They currently lead the NFL in points per game on their first drive. Average points per game on the first drive for the Vikings this year at 4.3. Tops in the league. Not only is it tops in the league in 2022, but it would, it's the, let's see, it's the third most that we have seen from any team in the last 15 years. The only two teams in the last 15 years that have had average more points on their first drive of the game are the 2007 Patriots and the 2019 Packers. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody else. That's just how good they are. But as the game goes on, they sprint out the gates really hard with a good game plan, jump on their opponent's back, and then the early down play success starts to decrease. They don't really keep that engine humming the same way. And then sooner or later, they're going to find themselves in third and long. And when they find themselves in third and long, and and the defense can pin their ears back and really get after the quarterback, that's when the interior of the offensive line has shown their issues. Bradbury and Ezra Cleveland, the center and the left guard, aren't they're they're okay. I'll say they're they're okay for the most part. Ingram, the right guard though, oof, bro, that dude is not played well, and he got picked on last week. Everybody, listen if you go back and you watch that Washington game against against uh, the Vikings. They were lining up Deron Payne over the top of Ed Ingram, like particularly swinging John Allen to that side and just letting them just tee off on him. And mm-hmm. this year, in third or seven or longer, Kirk Cousins is 36 out of 36 in terms of EPA per play among quarterbacks who qualify for that, who have taken enough snaps at that depth range when it comes to third down. He is also, Kirk Cousins, that is, also 52% of, the, of those dropbacks he is under pressure. That's fourth most in the NFL. So mm. Buffalo coming into this game with the pass rush that they've had while it's kind of declined lately. And Greg Rousseau, who wasn't really, he, he has dealing with an injury right now. He may or may not play in this game coming up. He would be able to, he'd be someone to be able to take advantage of as would Von Miller. So that's going to be something to pay attention to mostly. Yeah, because he lines so, up great over, over guard stuff like that and just exploits them and the rest of mm-hmm. passion from that position. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, mostly, I think, if the Vikings are able to avoid third and long, uh, like they were against Arizona, then that's going to be able to help their offense keep continuing a lot. They didn't do that versus Washington, and that's why that game was so close. And, yeah. oh, honestly, I did you watch any of that Washington game with, with Minnesota last weekend? I was I was trying to catch like some of it. I was like catching the highlights and stuff like that, and I was shocked how close it was. I was like, hold up. And the, the fact that the score they, wasn't indicative really of how the game went, I would say that, okay. just for okay. the quick thing. But okay. let me t- – you almost have to Google this. Everybody else listen, Google this. Google ref runs into Vikings yep. player. Yep, yep, Bro, seen that. What yep. the hell was that? <laughs> and the funny thing about it was ref ran into him. I haven't seen the ref run into somebody like that since Joe Horn was running wide open when he was playing for the Saints and he was about to catch a touchdown and the mm-hmm. ref ran directly into him and prevented a touchdown. Not only that, uh, Tyler Heineke threw it to Curtis Samuel in triple coverage. Triple coverage. Triple coverage, hear? and the ref helped him catch it. <laughs> Do you, did the, you hear what freaking uh, on the call? Uh, Mark Sanchez was on the call. Did you hear what he said? I didn't hear what he said. What did he say? They showed a replay. Taylor Heineke throws it into a defensive team meeting room. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing about it, Harrison Smith was back there, and I'm just like, Harrison Smith looked, looked like he jumped up, but he looked like he, he didn't want to interfere. So, like, he second-guessed himself, like, at the last minute, and that's how Curtis Samuel got it. And that's mm-hmm. how you see, like, two defenders falling into the end zone. And then he Curtis Samuel gets up and runs in the end zone. And I'm just like, what a flukish play. That shit Fluke-ish. looked hilarious. Because, bro, he chucks it deep, right? It was a 70-yarder. Yeah. He yeah. chucks it deep, right? And it's like, oh, where's this ball going? And then once the broadcast view catches up to where the ball is, like, I need to go watch that on the All-22 just for my own amusement. Like, he... You see, like, just a whole squad of DBs back there. It was it was Cameron Bynum, the free safety, and Harrison Smith, the strong safety, and Patrick Peterson, right? And yeah. Heineke's just like, F it. You only live once. <laughs> Chucks that shit deep in the reps back there and takes out Cam Bynum. And in the postgame presser, Cam Bynum's like, yeah, you know, it's it happens. It's part of football. What are you going to do? You know, he played free safety better than me. <laughs> <laughs> We should probably sign him, man. We should probably sign him. Then, My okay, so God. so you watched the game, right? You watched the game. So was the Vikings dominating the entire game, or was no? The they weren't really dominating the entire game. I mean, okay. there was there was that play in particular, which Taylor Heineke did not have. He did not have a good game. Like usually, he's able to be like, "Well, Evan Terry McLaurin down there somewhere," and he chucks exactly. it, and then he has has a decent enough game. But he had, I want to say, he only had like. He did not have so many of his passing. Let me put it this way. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but watching that game, so many of his passing yards came on that play. Like if you, if that play isn't there, obviously I don't, I don't like to do the takeaway play thing, but if if you watch that game and you saw how that play unfolded, it's just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like what the hell's going on? You know, and if, it's, it's, it's always super funny. Cause I remember Ron Rivera blaming Carson Wentz or blaming the quarter quarterback play on the reason why they haven't been winning. But I'm like, Y'all keep bringing dudes in like Tyler Heineke expecting them, like, to do something. Like, I don't get this. Like, you guys right. keep saying, oh, well, you know, it's quarterback. I'm like, Tyler Heineke played the year last year. Y'all signed Fitzpatrick the year before, even though he hurt his hip. I'm like, y'all haven't had nothing at quarterback. And then before that, what, what was the other quarterback? I don't even remember the other quarterback they, they had. They had Dwayne Haskins, RIP. 
for a minute. But then they, but then they got rid of him because they felt like the backup was better, and it wasn't even Heineke. It was some other dude who they brought in from Carolina who didn't oh, do uh, anything uh, as Kyle well. Allen. Yeah, Kyle Allen, Kyle Allen, who didn't do nothing either. So I'm just like, all right. So and then I remember also they was like, well, Cameron have a reunion back in Washington, and then basically they was like, nah, because I think honestly the OC didn't like Cam or didn't like how his play style ever. Or he couldn't match his play, st- play calling to Cam's play style. And I'm just like, yo, man, y'all ain't got no quarterback. Y'all really not trying. And then y'all defense is another wreck, whatever. But I'm like, there's other stuff wrong with this team, too, Ron Rivera. Like, don't blame it all on the quarterback when your defense ain't even getting out the passer. And, like, how Ben is great it's that first year when y'all went 79 and won the division. So I'm just like, yeah. Fine. They keep throwing yeah. Heineke out there. It's like, yeah, we really believe in him. Like I remember leading up to the week, they was like, you know, they really believe Tyler Heineke's had a great week of practice. They think he's the leader and he can like really carry us to wins. He's played had a really good offseason. I'm like, man, stop, stop all this nonsense. Stop all this bull. I don't want to hear about, about this backup quarterback that y'all trying to push, like be a franchise. I'm like, no, draft the guy. <laughs> let's, get, let's get off Taylor Heineke and the NY. Sorry, my bad, bro. I just <laughs> I get you, you talk about my division, so I get frustrated with like this dumb stuff. I'm like, no, this guy, he ain't it. He ain't it. His no. best game was when he came in and played against uh, the Buccaneers when they went to the Super Bowl. He looked great in that game, but you get more exposed to him. It's like this ain't that guy. Stop trying to don't lie to me. The lie to me. moving to the Buffalo Bills side of things. Moving to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, they started off this year as their defense was playing lights out earlier in the yeah. season. <clears throat> the pass rush though, as of late, has not been as dominant. Right yeah. now, they sit at 20th in pressure rate and 11th in sacks per game at 2.9. As a result of this, though, they've actually kicked up their blitzes a little bit, and yeah. those are starting to be a little bit more noticeable when you watch them play. And <clears throat> I think that's, I think that should be able to help. I don't know how often they're going to really go to that well because they still don't blitz a ton. They're currently yeah. at 16% right now as opposed to, you know, like below like around 10 just a couple of times a game. And a lot of it comes down to, I hate to keep being a broken record here, but they do have some injuries on that defense that were yep. mostly noticeable in that yep. Jets game in particular last week. Matt Milano, he didn't play. Jordan yep. Poyer, he didn't play. He didn't play. And as I mentioned, Greg Rousseau, sust- Rousseau sustained an injury in that game as well. Yep. Trey White yeah. has Where's actually been back? activated. He's been activated. Yep. He, has, he didn't end up playing on Sunday, but he might be able to take, you know, we'll have to pay attention to see if he takes this game. It takes the field this game and might take the, you know, get some snaps against Justin Jefferson and how he's looking. Because the most important thing is that they want to really try to ease him back into this. But something that's really stood out with Buffalo is that lately this run defense has shown holes. And it's funny because it started in that second half of the Green Bay Packers Sunday night game when, yeah. like, there, I don't remember this, what, how long it went, but there was a stretch in that third quarter where I think the Packers ran the ball like 11 times on this Bills defense. Yeah. Then when we, if you, anyone watched the Jets game, when they played against them last week to close out the game, the Jets were calling just, they was just like, like a clinic on, on different types of runs. Like, all right, here you go. Split zone. Boom. All right, here you go. Trap. Boom. They ran, they ran eight straight runs. (laughs) They ran eight straight runs against this Bills front and was Mm -hmm. just picking up plays. It was two things. One, uh, the running game was working well for the Jets, but also they didn't want to put the ball in, in Zach Wilson's hands and have him throw another interception like he did against the Pats. So it was two things. But the fact that you can run on this Bills team is kind of scary. 
and then also Von Miller almost missed last week's game, but he was he he was able to play. So I feel like there's a lot of injuries happening along this Bills defense that we're not talking about enough. And it's why mm-hmm. teams are being able to perform on them because there is a bunch of injuries. And it's kind of why Buffalo wants to go so deep in their D-line and stuff like that. But people have to step it up because Von Miller's old, man. What is he, 33, 34 at this point in his career? Yeah. He's not the young buck he used to. He could still get after the passer. But they brought Von Miller in for the playoffs not to, like, be the main guy who does everything because by the time the playoffs come around, He'll be he'll be tired and can't rush the pass as well. So they need a Gregory Rousseau, like you said, who got hurt to step up. A Jordan Phillips, who they brought back because they felt their their D line was too undersized because uh the one D tackle who they drafted a few years ago out of Houston, he's undersized. But they brought in beefier guys to try to work in like ha- different kind of stuff and have a different rotation. So maybe they need a, the their bigger guys up front to try to stop the run to try to not be ran on. But then they want to add a pass rush at the same time too. So it's kind of like, all right, well, we gotta shuffle out our big guys, bring our bring our small guys in. They bring the small guys, small guys in. We check to the run, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they mostly like, like to stay in that. Bills Buffalo or their defense most likely likes to stay in nickel. That's just what yeah. Teron Johnson allows them to do. That they stay in nickel, just depending on how teams want to attack them. That's kind of been a mainstay for them. But you're right, swapping out the bodies of like AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham trying to get some type of pass rush out of those guys, Daquan Jones and Tim Settle up the middle. And without Matt Milano, when they went into like those nickel packages, it was Tremaine Edmonds and Terrell Bernard. And specifically in the Jets game, they were running right at him. They were running his way and trying to put him in conflict often. And then also requiring, okay, you don't have Trey White out there. You don't have Jordan Poyer. You didn't have, obviously, Micah Hyde. He's on IR and won't be back at any point. So let's see what these young corners can do. Let's see what Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam can do on the outside. Let's let's go ahead and put you to the test. And if it's that way again, I could see Minnesota looking to go to that. The outside zone, as we were talking about, is what they really lean their hat on from a run game standpoint. And that might be something that they try to look to expose within this Buffalo defense as well. McDermott, though, for as far as the Bills go offensively, he did mention in the post game after the Jets game, that he thought they got a little bit one-dimensional because in the second half, the Bills only ran the ball four times between James Cook and Devin Singletary. And in the trade deadline, one we didn't at least mention, we didn't really go over too many of the trades uh, on this this show in, in particular because we had those connection issues that we had mentioned. But during the trade deadline, they acquired Naheem Hines from the Colts. Yep. So he's also in the fold there too. And I wonder kind of what the plan is as they get him up to speed with the playbook as well and rotating these different backs in and out of there. So that'll be something to go ahead and look to. Do you think in this game that the Bills try to establish to run more? I think they might because I know, if you know, they got Josh Allen there and his, his elbows really bother him. We might want to use the running game more or we might want to throw a little quick passes or tosses to a, uh, Naheem Hines, because maybe we can't get him in the passive game and lining up in the slot or uh or have him do as many as much as we can, but we can't have him in the backfield running more. Cause I feel like um who's there who's the main running back who keeps uh for some reason I want to say TJ Yeldon. That's not him. Oh uh, uh, <laughs> Devin Singletary. <laughs> uh what's his name? Singletary, Devin Singletary. Singletary, yeah, Devin Singletary. I feel like Devin Singletary isn't he's Good to okay, but they, I feel like they 
They want more out of their running back to have a complete offense, but then also a dynamic offense as well. Like whenever it's like, all right, well, we should get rid of Devin Singletary. He has been effective. That's boom. He has like this explosive game. But then they're still searching for other playmakers. That's why they got Spiller. That's why they traded for Naheem Hines. That's why they traded Zach Moss because they wanted a bruiser, but then Zach Moss was just giving them that. So it's kind of um, they have they want all of this. Um, they just want like an explosive back, a receiving back who can dump it off and can like you know just like get, gain like yards like forty after the yards, catch. yeah, yards mm-hmm. after the catch. And that's why they brought in Naheem Hines because um, the other guy wasn't getting it done. Who you got winning this game, and how do we get to the score? I'm gonna go Bills until they actually say Josh Allen. Uh, Elbows really affect him like that. I go Bills 28 to 24 over the Minnesota Vikings. If this game was in prime time, <laughs> I would have 100% faith that I would be right in this game because we know how Kirk Cousins plays in prime time. Um, but it's not in prime time, so I feel like it will be more competitive in a close game, and that's why I'm going 28 to 24. But if it was in prime time, I would pick 42 to 10. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I know. Hey, everybody got their take on Kurt. Everybody be hating yeah. on Kurt. Hey, man. Hey, well, I, I said primetime game. But I said yeah. primetime. Okay. Yeah. It, I, if, if Allen plays, I got the Bills in a pretty close one. I do think this yeah. is a game where the Bills have been getting a lot, of course, out of Stephon Diggs. He's somebody else we'd have to put in that top receiver discussion for another podcast. Oh, right, right. But, uh, yeah, especially yeah. for just this season. We'll do it but all season. Him and Gabe Davis have been, Gabe Davis and Diggs have been like the lifeblood of that passing game, especially when they make those devastating mm-hmm. completions. Diggs roasted, Diggs roasted Sauce Gardner last week on the first play of the game on a double move. And that was one of the bigger, more explosive plays they had. Gabe Davis has been a downfield monster when the safeties do rotate over to Diggs. But I think that Isaiah McKenzie, this is a game where they can really look to establish him. Early in the season when Isaiah had some injury issues, they tried to really start featuring Khalil Shakir, the rookie out of Boise State. And he had an all right game. He had an all right showing. But they wanted this role to really be Isaiah McKenzie's. They wanted to give him these over routes, you know, to move and weave through zone coverage. Like you were talking about earlier with what they were looking for in a running back to be able to get like, you know, cheap yards or screen yards, stuff like that. Give him, give him the ball on like jets. This is a guy that I think they were expecting a lot of. And especially last year towards the end of the season, when before Josh Allen got back to this, like, you know, unearthly level of playing style that he's now established for himself after they had some mid season lulls, Isaiah McKenzie was a big part of that. He really was. And I think this is a game where they can look to really get him back in his groove. He hasn't really lived up to that yet. And the reason why I'm targeting him to have a pretty solid game is because I was talking about earlier, the speed that you see or the lack thereof, I should say, in Minnesota secondary. And a player like this will be able to get loose against them. If you watched Minnesota against Arizona just a couple weeks ago, Rondell Moore has was was able to eat them up. And he had a really good game. And I feel like Isaiah McKenzie is a player who's cut in the same ilk as Rondell Moore is. So just overall, with the way they are able to flood the field with digs, the way they're able to take advantage of, you know, the safety rotations and the lack of the speed and size and athletic ability overall to be able to feature Gabe Davis and to be able to use Isaiah McKenzie in that way. I, I like them to be able to go ahead and pull this one out. I do think it will be close, though. 
especially if we get to see Jordan Poyer and Matt Milano and a healthy Greg Rousseau. But Allen is the main injury point here that really, I think, swings the game for pretty much anybody, to be honest. So give me the Bills. I'm going to say with a healthy Josh Allen, the score we're looking at, because it's also not in primetime, because it's also not in primetime, the score we're going to be looking at is, I like 24 to 20 Buffalo in this one. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the Week 10 preview coming at you. We will be back for our recap. Feel free to message me on Facebook. Anything you want us also to cover, anything you want us to get to, we'll be back with our ICUs, our what's going on, and we will most likely recap that Sunday night game between the Chargers and the Niners. You're listening to the Cover Zero Podcast. And we out. We'll be right back.